coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field. It's the Derek Izzy Show. Making history his story, Derek Izzy. Good morning and welcome. You are listening to The Derek Izzy Show. I thank Moses for that wonderful introduction, but that was a pre-recorded introduction. Moses is on vacation this week. Moses is off traveling internationally, and I'm sure we'll hear from him when he gets back. I'm sure he'll have some wonderful stories for us, and we'll talk about that on a future show. As for today's show, I am very proud and excited to announce a brand new sponsor of the show. Now, this sponsor is its a company that I've used for a long period of time, They're called Blue Apron. Now, if you've ever heard of Blue Apron, what they do is they put together nutritional meals and they send you the ingredients so that you can prepare your own meals. Now, the cost for a a one-person meal averages about $10. They usually ship the meals to feed two or four people. You can set your your own quantity in that respect. But to use the Blue Apron services, you go to blueapron.com slash Izzy. That's my last name, I-Z-Z-I, blueapron.com slash Izzy. And by going there, you will get $30 off your first order. Typically, you sign up for a certain period of meals. For example, the subscription that I use is uh, Meals for Two, and I get three of those meals each week. Just to give you some examples of what kind of food you'll get, now, I'm not really a cook, but... Using these recipes and the way they send the food, it's already pre-portioned and it makes everything easy. It'll basically turn a novice into a gourmet chef overnight. But check this out. This is, this is a little bit of what I made and what I ate for dinner recently. Spiced beef pitas with garlic, what, garlic labna? I don't, I don't even know how to pronounce this. With arugula and date salad. Those are some high-level foods. Gourmet cooking, making it easy, blueapron.com slash Izzy. Let's pull out, another, pull out another recipe here. Spicy tomato and olive pasta with lemon ricotta and roasted broccoli. Lemongrass burgers and cabbage slaw with sriracha mayonnaise and pickled carrots. These are just really good. I mean, that's all I can say. It'll turn you into gourmet chef overnight. Got to go to blueapron.com slash Izzy and take advantage of that $30 off your first order. And now, the topic of today's podcast. Today's podcast is entitled, The War Between States. Why did I choose that as the title? Because two states kind of went to war with each other. Now, I'm not talking about the Civil War. 
This is completely different. This was actually before the Civil War, back in the early 1800s. And it revolves around Major Benjamin Stickney. Now, he was a historical figure that you probably never heard of. What makes him significant to this podcast? He had two sons. The Stickney sons were named One and Two. That is correct. You cannot make this stuff up, folks. One and two were his first two sons' names. What's their significance to the podcast? Well, none really, but I just thought that was kind of interesting. One and two. Two actually was involved in a stabbing during this war between states. He stabbed a sheriff with a pocket knife. All right, let's hear it for one and two Stickney. Thank you. The year was 1787. The U.S. government put something in place called the Northwest Ordinance. It basically set up a border between two states, Ohio and Michigan. It was called the Mitchell Map. Now, you fans of college football know that there's a tremendous rivalry between Michigan and Ohio. What you didn't know was that a rivalry existed between those two states outside of the football discussion. Today's podcast will explain how Michigan and Ohio went to war. The disagreement between Ohio and Michigan stemmed from the boundary line. Ohio was a state already accepted into the Union, and Michigan was in the process of becoming a state. So at the time, they had no legal representation, really, in the U.S. Congress because they were still only a a territory. Now, I mentioned that survey back in 1787. Well, in 1818, John Fulton did a new survey. He set up a line that formed the southern boundary known as the Toledo Strip. The dispute over these boundary lines caused many different discussions involved in the statehood of Michigan and the war with Ohio. In 1803, there was a discovery made that the Mitchell map, another map that was heavily relied on at the time, was actually incorrect. The actual border of Lake Michigan was not really where it was depicted on the map. It was actually a lot further south than where the map depicted it. Yeah, so what's the big deal about that? It's actually a little further south, but it's a, it's a lake, so, you know, who cares? It's a body of water. It's not a state. The difference is the body of water was essential in creating the borderline. So if the body of water was located further south, then that borderline is located further south. And now you can see how the conflict kind of started. We've got several different surveys each with different boundary lines, and nobody knows where the actual boundaries lie, and each surveyor thinks they're correct, while at the same time you've got governments that are trying to assign territory. They need accurate information, and they don't have it, but each side thinks they're right and that their survey is the accurate one. When it's proven that one survey is wrong, what do you do? How do you solve a problem when boundaries have been accepted for a long time, and then when you actually do a new survey, you find that those boundaries have been interpreted incorrectly 
for many, many years. Now picture this. That's like you you own a home and you're taking care of your backyard and you've got a neighbor who's behind you. You're out there every week mowing the grass, taking care of the yard. Maybe you've got some animals that are allowed to play. You've got children that are out playing in the backyard. And one day the neighbor is actually talking to someone from the local government and they're talking about property lines. The neighbor behind you finds out that according to the local government, your backyard is actually his property. What would you do? How would you handle that situation? You've owned the home for 10 years and always assumed that the backyard was yours. And the property map that you looked at when you bought the house says that backyard belongs to you. But the property map that your neighbor has says that that yard belongs to him. Now, your case is that your your survey's correct because that's what you used to buy the house and you've been maintaining it for the last 10 years, so you should rightfully keep the yard. Your neighbor maintains that your survey's incorrect because his was done by somebody in the actual local government and therefore it carries more weight with it. So that is the correct survey. There has to be some kind of agreement. Two neighbors, you know each other, and you're going to have to live together. So there's got to be some way to settle this dispute. In that particular case, you can take it to court. But in the case of statehood, these kinds of disputes have to be settled on a larger scale. This particular dispute got the involvement of the President of the United States. You can see where the president was coming from. Back in 1817, Ohio had two senators and six representatives in Congress. Michigan was still only a territory. They didn't have any representation in Congress. Who's the president going to side with? You know, the president has to consider if he sides with Michigan, you know, maybe Michigan's right. Maybe they have the more reliable information and the right decision would be to side with Michigan. But Ohio has voters. If you side with Michigan, then the voters of Ohio can kick you out of office when the next election comes around. That puts the president in a kind of difficult place. The dispute over surveys and territory between Michigan and Ohio continued well into the 1830s. As the dispute increased... It kind of boiled down to a little area of land known as the Toledo Strip that became the center of the conflict between Ohio and Michigan. By the year 1835, Michigan had drafted its own state constitutions, developed a Supreme Court, and had a functioning state government, even though they weren't a state just yet. Until the border issue was settled... President Jackson said he would not support Michigan's request to become a state. The president had to make a decision. Throughout the year of 1835, the Ohio government and the Michigan government engaged in several skirmishes, arguments, harassments, not really any bloodshed, even though we talked about the Stickneys and two Stickney actually stabbed a sheriff. They had gotten into an argument. He pulled out a pocket knife and stabbed the sheriff. 
But other than that, it was basically two states harassing each other. They both had militaries, and they both had borderlines that either state could enforce. We're talking about arresting citizens from the other state. On July 15, 1835, that's where you see the bloodshed. The only bloodshed in the war. Deputy Sheriff Joseph Wood went into Toledo to arrest Major Benjamin Stickney. Stickney resisted. His sons got involved, and son number, well, son number two, named two, two Stickney, ended up stabbing Sheriff Wood. Since all of this took place over, I mean, we're talking a period of almost 50 years here. How could a dispute go on for 50 years? Well, back then, they didn't have a lot of the modern technologies that, that we do today. To give you an example of the way some of the things worked, in 1812, Congress passed a resolution providing for the survey of the ordinance line that I had mentioned before to be drawn due east from the southerly extreme of Lake Michigan. Then you history buffs will remember the War of 1812 taking place. So the survey got delayed for five years. Ohio Governor Edward Tiffin was also the Surveyor General of the U.S. He brought in William Harris to survey the boundary, but then told him to run the line in accordance to the Ohio Constitution and not drawn due east from the southern tip of Lake Michigan. Hearing that, the governor of Michigan protested that Tiffin is not carrying out the instructions that were given to him by Congress. Because of this, another survey was made a year later by John Fulton. Fulton did his survey following the original 1787 ordinance. Now, this survey line intersected Lake Erie just east of the mouth of the Maumee River, which would put that river in Michigan's territory. Things like this repeated themselves. As each new surveyor drew the boundaries, different parts were placed in different states. The significance of all this is that in order for Michigan to become a state, they had to have a clear boundary set up between them and Ohio. In 1835, both states passed legislation forcing the other state to give in to their demands. This pitted Ohio's governor, Robert Lucas, against Michigan's governor, Stevens Mason, who was only 24 at the time. The conflict, again, became centered around the Toledo Strip. Both states assembled militias. They took their positions on opposite sides of the Maumee River. Shots were fired into the air, but there were no casualties. The types of skirmishes that ensued between both sides along the border were mostly acts of harassment. For example, a Michigan sheriff rode into Toledo and arrested several Ohio state officials. Later on, newspapers reported that an Ohio flag was torn down and dragged through the streets and burned. A Michigan general led a small army on a mission to stop a border survey team that was coming out of Ohio. This militia confronted the surveyors and fired warning shots over them. Then they arrested them. 
Again, no one was killed, but the harassment continued. And like I told you about two Stickney stabbing the sheriff, most of these conflicts ended in brawls or just general harassment, but they were constant. We had the entire state of Michigan with their militias and Ohio with their statehood already in place fighting to take the Toledo Strip. The federal government would be the deciding factor. President Andrew Jackson consulted with his people. He would have to offer some sort of compromise. He wanted Michigan as a state, but at the same time, he had to keep Ohio happy because of all the electoral votes that Ohio generated. The final decision was made. After taking a vote, the decision passed. 143 votes yes, 50 votes no. Michigan would be accepted as a state, provided they are willing to compromise on the status of their border. The compromise that was eventually agreed upon was that Ohio would get the Toledo Strip and Michigan would be set up with a boundary that included the Upper Peninsula. Now at the time, Michigan's population was basically pissed off about that. They viewed the Upper Peninsula as a worthless piece of land that really had no use. However, they agreed to it anyway in order to become a state. This turned out great for the state of Michigan in the end. As they started mining and digging in the areas of the Upper Peninsula, mineral deposits were discovered. By the 1860s, the Upper Peninsula had become the top source of copper in the United States. By the end of the 1800s, iron was discovered in the Upper Peninsula, and the state was able to generate a large amount of wealth from these mineral deposits. While these areas are no longer profitable mining areas today, they worked very well for Michigan's economy back in the 1800s. From an argument over territory between the state of Ohio and the Michigan Territory to two states going to war over a boundary, this has been the war between states. And before you go, head to blueapron.com slash Izzy. Get your $30 off your first order. Enjoy gourmet cooking by a novice chef. One other thing I want to tell you about Blue Apron before you go is that each meal comes with an ingredients list as well as the nutritional facts. So you want to look at each one. Each meal is set up usually around 600 to 800 calories per serving, and they are complete meals, but you get the nutritional facts that break down all the calories, the fat, cholesterol, whatever you need, it is all there. And one other thing, Blue Apron does allow you to select from a menu of meals. They do make suggestions. For example, if you're ordering three meals your first week, they might have a selection of 10 different meals, and then you just select the three that you want. But they are all, they're all healthy, they're nutritious, and because they allow you to select the ones that you want, you kind of get your choice. So if there's an item that you don't like or that you're allergic to, you can put that in 
You can get meals that don't have that item or don't have that ingredient, and you can customize it. For example, on a recent meal, spicy pepper and ricotta calzones with cucumber and romaine salad. That, I mean, that was delicious. But part of the ingredients are red, crushed red pepper flakes and Kalamata olives. Those are two ingredients that I don't like. So when I made this dish, I threw those ingredients out. The ingredients are there to make the complete meal. But if there's an ingredient that you don't like, throw it out. Don't use it. You can create gourmet meals for yourself, for your family. As a matter of fact, if you order the portion size that feeds four, then you do get a little bit of a discount. Instead of being you know, $10 per serving, then you're looking at uh, between 8 and $9. But you can't lose getting $30 off your first order. BlueApron.com slash Izzy, $30 off your first order. Bringing savings to you straight from the Derek Izzy Show. Thank you for listening. Be sure to write a review on iTunes. Tell your friends about the show. Our listenership is growing. And if you have suggestions, something you'd like to see covered, Feel free to shoot us an email. You can reach me directly at Derek at DerekIzzy.com. Good day.